can be found on the inside of your bulletin on page four. We just finished up a series on Romans five through eight. And so uh, this is an all skates where I'm going to be picking a variety of different passages for a while from the scriptures and preaching on them. And at some point, uh, we will start a new series, uh, which is to be determined. So this is a very famous passage, Proverbs 3, 5 through 8. And I'll go ahead and read it for you. Proverbs 3, 5 through 8. Trust in the Lord with all your heart, and do not lean on your own understanding. In all your ways acknowledge him, and he will make straight your paths. Be not wise in your own eyes. Fear the Lord and turn away from evil. It will be healing to your flesh and refreshment to your bones. This is the word of the Lord. The Proverbs are a neat uh, book in God's word. Uh, I refer to them as the hard candy of the Bible. Uh, you sort of need to suck on the Proverbs to get all of the flavor and taste out of it. They're not as simple as perhaps they seem on the surface, uh, like a soft chew where you just sort of bite into it and it's gone. No, you actually have to pontificate and meditate on them to really understand what it is that they're talking about. In fact, Proverbs starts out with this quote in Proverbs 1-2, uh, excuse me, 1, 1 through 4 the Proverbs of Solomon, son of David, king of Israel, for attaining wisdom and discipline, for understanding words of insight, for acquiring a discipline and prudent life, doing what is right and just and fair, for giving prudence to the simple, knowledge and discretion to the young. So Proverbs is all about wisdom. What is wisdom? Wisdom is the art of living skillfully. What do I mean about that? In the lives that each of us live, there are a bewildering array of choices that assail us every day. What should we say? What should we do? Where should we go? It's, it's, a, it's a veritable flood. And the reality is many of those choices don't fall into the range of morally good or morally bad. They're morally neutral. But not all of them are good. And so the question is, how are we to navigate throughout this life with skill? And so that's what the Proverbs is about. Now this particular passage, Proverbs 3, 5, and 6, teaches us an important truth. That the secret for living skillfully is not what you know, but who you trust in. Christianity is not simply agreeing with and implementing a series of precepts. Christianity is a who, not a what. And so the scripture says to trust in the Lord with all your heart and lean not on your own understanding. But what does it mean to trust in the Lord? How do we acknowledge God in all of our ways? And how the heck is he going to make our paths straight in the midst of the choices that we know that often are not the right choice or the best choice? Without scripture like this, we'd be paralyzed. And so we're going to examine these three points in my next four hours. Number one, what does it mean to trust in the Lord? Number two, how do we acknowledge him in all of our ways? Number three, how does he make our path straight? Because the secret for living right is not simply what you know, but who you trust in. Well, let's begin with number one, trust and obey. 
excuse me, trusting in the Lord. I want to talk about trust and obedience because they're not the same. Even though when we read this proverb, we often put into our mind trust and obey, right? If you trust what he tells you and do what he tells you, then everything's going to work out. But that's not what it says. It says trust in the Lord. See, the reality is you can obey and not trust. You can believe in Jesus, you can follow or strive to follow after the Ten Commandments and not trust Him according to what He's talking about when He's really talking about what it means to trust. However, you can't trust and not obey. In other words, the key is not obedience, the key is trust. Now how do I know this? Because it says to trust in the Lord with all your heart. Now when the Bible speaks about the heart, it's speaking about the totality of the person. We are a very mental society. We sort of compartmentalize our mind, our heart, and so on. And when we read trust in the Lord, we tend to position it in this way. When we think on what his commands are, when we obey them, all will be well. But that's not what it says. It says to trust in the Lord with all of your heart. See, we make many decisions knowing the right thing and choosing the wrong thing. I forget who it was, the philosopher that says, the heart has its reasons, which reason knows nothing of. See, what God is talking about in this passage is who is your functional savior? What do I mean your functional savior? Who you put your trust of your life in? What you put your heart in? The reality is we are not what we simply know. We are what we love. Let me give you an example. You can be a Christian. You can love Christ. And yet your functional savior is not him. Your functional savior is your job, for instance. And all is well as long as you have your job, but when that job is threatened, all of a sudden, your life comes crashing down on itself. Now, losing one's job is a horrible thing and a difficult thing. I'm not making light of that. But when it's your functional savior, when there are all of these inordinate emotions around it that point to the reality that this actually has your heart, that is what you're trusting in. You see, whatever has our heart will ultimately win in the end. And so this passage in saying, trust in the Lord is saying, put all of the weight of the longing and the craving of your heart and your life on him. And then it brings up an alternative, doesn't it? Lean not on your own understanding and lean not on your own understanding. Think about it when you lean on something. When I lean on something, I'm putting all of my weight on it, aren't I? So I'm either putting all of my weight on the Lord, or I'm putting all of my weight on myself. My understanding meaning I decide who it is that I will worship, how it is that I will live. Jeremiah 17, 5 said, Curse, says, Cursed is the man who trusts in man and makes flesh his strength, whose heart turns away from the Lord. <clears throat> this is really what happened in the garden, isn't it? Adam and Eve, instead of trusting in God, 
that they could become like God, knowing good and evil. And they felt that was a better plan than trusting in God, even though they didn't know the full totality of God's plan. And so they lent, they leaned on their own understanding. See, ultimately, this passage is not about guidance. This passage is about idolatry. It's about where we put the weight of our worship. Now, trust isn't easy, is it? All of us can remember that time, well, most of us anyways, when you stood on the end of that diving board <laughs> and maybe a parent or a significant other who you trusted in was down there in the water saying, jump, I'll catch you. And we looked out on that vast expanse of blue ocean and we said, there's no way, we'll, we'll drown. But there was that voice calling to us again and again, that voice that had held us since we could remember saying, I will remember, I will catch you. I will watch over you. I will not let anything fall. I will not let you fall. See, trust is confidence that that person is going to catch you, that that person loves you. Now, how do we do that? It's one thing to identify what trust really means, to put all of the weight of your heart, the totality of your being onto this person, even when you don't know the whole plan. But how do we do that? I should have included this verse, uh, a couple of verses before Proverbs 3, 3 in this passage, but I'll go ahead and read it. Because it says, let not steadfast love and faithfulness forsake you. Bind them around your neck. Write them on the tablet of your heart. When we read these words, let not steadfast love and faithfulness forsake you, we, we think about a Hallmark greeting card or something like that. But it's speaking specifically of God's covenant love and faithfulness. The promises that he made to the nation of Israel, that I will bind myself to you, that I will watch over you, that I will protect you, that I will never leave you or forsake you. See, the reason we're able to trust in God is because he's all in with us, isn't he? It's the cross the blood that Christ shed on the cross that he memorialized in the communion table in the new covenant that gives us the confidence to step off of the diving board into the sea. And so the proverb says, let not steadfast love and faithfulness forsake you. In other words, don't forget who it is that you're trusting in. Bind his promise his cross, if you will, around your neck. The neck is the most vulnerable place in the human body, by the way. It's where the jugular is. Wrap his steadfast love around your throat. Trust in that and that alone. Write it on the tablets of your heart. Jesus Christ's covenant love established on the cross is the North Star for our trust. It gives us the confidence to rest all of our weight upon him, to trust in the Lord. I had a recent opportunity to go parachuting with my uh, middle boy, Will, before we took him to JMU. I surprised him. Uh, and so we went out to uh, skydive Suffolk. I don't know if anyone's ever gone parachuting before. It was my first time. It was kind of exciting. <laughs> 
So they don't, uh, you know, just let you jump out of the plane. That's a bad idea, unless you get a lot, a lot of training. What they do is they have an instructor, and he basically ties you to himself. You really don't do anything. For all intents and purposes, you're dead weight. Okay? I pardon the term. <laughs> Luckily, I wasn't. But it's very interesting. When you go up on the plane, you're, you're basically sitting, and he's right behind you. And he starts lashing himself to you and, and tightening you down. So you are as close to him as humanly possible. Because in just a second, you're going to jump out of the plane. And it's not going to take long before you're reaching 120 miles an hour. And when he pulls that chute, if you're not with him, you're going to keep going. No, I didn't know this guy from Adam. Okay? No, I did. It might be, you know, this is it for me. You know? Where? Shoot what shoot? I don't know. But essentially, I had to trust in him and lean not on my own understanding. But when I looked at him, I could clearly see special forces written on his head. And saw the calmness and experience I knew I was in good hands. And I did have the ride of my life. Though I did throw up at the end of my life. <laughs> I'm, I'm being honest, okay? I'm sharing. My son very much enjoyed that. <laughs> you know, that's what the Lord is saying, isn't it? Let me lash you to myself. Because we're going on a journey. And you can't possibly know how this thing is going to go. You're simply too small. You simply can't know all the answers. But the most important thing you need to know, the only thing in the end you need to know is me. That when I'm with you and you're with me, all will be well. Trust in me. See, you may go to church. You may strive to obey the Ten Commandments. But do you trust him with all your heart? Do you put all your weight on him? That involves saying to God, take everything, as long as I have you. See, there's nothing I could carry on the plane. It doesn't work that way. I couldn't bring another chute. I couldn't bring my own little uh, whirly gig propeller. It was him or it was nothing. But he was plenty. He was enough. See, we must learn to bind around our neck and write on the tablets of our heart God's faithfulness shown to us in the cross. There's a reason that you show up at this church on Sunday, isn't it? Even though sometimes it feels like moving heaven and earth together. Because we need to worship the Lord. We need to confess our sins. We need to hear his words of grace. We need to participate in giving thanksgiving. We need all those things on Sunday, and guess what? We need them throughout the week. Because there are constantly messages that are going out to you that are saying, trust in me, trust in me, and all will be well. You know, in the old days when there was an advertisement for ivory soap, it was, here, use ivory soap, it floats. 
Now, if you watch a commercial for Ivory Soap, if you use Ivory Soap, you'll instantly be transported into paradise. <laughs> where all will be well, and there will be peace, and there will be shalom on the earth. They're constant messages, constant functional saviors that are saying to you, I am enough. Lash your heart to me. And you know what? When you lash your heart to them, you sleep like a stone. We need to become experts in owning our own hearts. I started doing something pretty interesting. I downloaded some apps onto my IV drip. Where's my iPhone? <laughs> because let's be honest, I'm constantly getting messages, aren't I? Constantly. Here's a couple of them. One's called Time to Pray. One's called Lectionary. One called, one's called Daily Office. And you know what I'm doing throughout the day? I'm entering into short times of worship, confession, and thanksgiving. If you will, re-allowing my heart to be lashed to the Lord. Because for some reason, I've become an expert at loosening those cords and tying myself to other things that beguile me. Remember that Proverbs are for wisdom and gaining wisdom and insight. They're not simply to be listened to. We have to use them in order to experience the benefits. So what does your liturgy of your day look like? Are you spending time to make sure that you're lashed to the right thing? Trust in the Lord with all your heart. Lean on your own understanding. That brings me to my second point. Acknowledge Him in all of your ways. It says, in all your ways acknowledge him, and he will make your paths straight. But what are your ways? Your ways are how you live your life, how you go about the business of your day. It's what you do, so to speak. And so the scripture says to acknowledge him in all your ways. In other words, how you demonstrate your trust for the Lord, in the Lord, is in acknowledging him in how you live. See, how you are behaving ultimately is what shows what you are believing. Much, much more than what you're simply saying. So when I think about all of my ways, well, I'm a husband. Am I acknowledging him in all the ways in which I function as a husband, as a father, as a worker, as a friend, Indeed, in my relationship with myself, as a member of this community, am I acknowledging my trust for him in how I live? The word acknowledge, by the way, in Hebrew, literally means to know. Know him, meaning in a personal way. Know him in all of your ways. It doesn't mean know his will in all of your ways. It means know him in all your ways. It's like where as I go about my life, he is with me and I am acknowledging his lordship, his presence, his primacy in everything that I do. When my kids give me a call to ask me to do something, often one of my first questions is this, would your mother be okay with this? Now, why do I ask that? 
Well, because, A, we're in this thing together. And they know me, and they know their mom. They know her. They know her likes. They know her dislikes. And so as they factor into whatever it is that they're asking me to do, it's simply coming to ask me because they know that she would say no, even if they haven't asked her, because they know her. See, that's a very similar way of thinking about when I'm about to do something. Would the Lord approve of this? Would the Lord be pleased with this? See, how do we develop this habit of knowing God in all of our ways? Because in 30% of our lives, the Bible is very clear about what to do. It's a black or white type thing. I don't need to pray about it. The Bible says it right there. But in 70% of our ways, it's not so clear. How are we to deal with those? There's a Catholic philosopher, his name's Alistair McIntyre. He wrote a book called After Virtue, and he tells a story to illustrate this. He says, suppose you're waiting at a bus stop, and a young man walks up to you out of the blue, and he says to you, the Latin name of the common wild duck is Histrionicus, 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 and walks away. What are you to do? Well, that depends, doesn't it? You see, there really, he can think of three particular reasons this could have happened, which will demand three different responses. Number one, this person is mentally ill. And I am to uh, understand that and to respond in a way that is appropriate. That's a possibility of why this random person has walked up to me and said, the name of the Commonwealth Duck is Histrionicus times three. But there's a second possibility. It's a case of mistaken identity. Perhaps he thought I was someone else, maybe a professor that he was taking a class with, and there was some inside joke, and he came up to me and he thought I was the professor, and so he was responding to the joke. And then I will respond in a different way, right? But there is a possible third way. And that is that he is a spy. And he has come to me and he's given the code word, right? The name of the common wild duck is Histrionicus, Histrionicus, Histrionicus. See, Allstair's point is this. I cannot answer the question, what ought I to do, unless I first answer the question, of which story am I a part? See, to know whether a habit or something we do is a virtue or a vice, we have to answer the question, what are we here for? See, to acknowledge him, to know him in all our ways, is to understand that he is the telos of our life. What does the word telos mean? It's Greek for the goal or the end the destination, so to speak. See, the Bible teaches us of the character of God, what he likes, what he dislikes. And it also provides us a picture of what it is that he's making sense of, of what the world is ultimately one day to be. 
telos is to be conformed into the image of Christ. So that we might worship him as Christ worships the Father. The path of the events of our day, no matter how small, are part of the larger story of God and are to fit in them. That is the mindset that we are to have. Or we can run the film of God's story as simply a small slice that fits into my larger story. See, that's the telos. Christ gives the North Star. We do understand the story that we fit into, at least are placed in it. And this informs how we live and how we love, how we manage our business dealings, how we love our children, how we love our spouse. So to acknowledge him in all your ways, so know your tell us. So do you. As you go about your day, have you trusted in him with all your heart to the point where you know that he is the foundation of my life? Indeed, he is the goal. Everything is driving toward him. And so the affairs of my life are all wrapping around and fitting into him, not just the 30%, but the 70%. See, what we need, my friends, is to reformat our attitude. I love the scripture that says, I have set the Lord before me. Because he is at my right hand, I will never be shaken. To acknowledge him, to know him in all our ways, is to reorient our life to please him and honor him. This brings me to my final point, and he will make your path straight. It's the promise. He calls us to live a certain way, and he promises that he'll direct our path. What does it mean he'll make straight our path? Well, the opposite of straight is crooked. When we think of straight, we, we don't necessarily think as much morally, but when we think of the word crooked, we do, right? Because that's the opposite. A crooked path is a path in which we live morally wrong and ultimately experience the consequences of that. But when he makes straight our path, there is a peace that comes in our heart of knowing that we are living in harmony with the purposes of God. See, he doesn't say in this that he will make all of your circumstances perfect. Proverbs are not a series of life hacks, if you will, of how to make everything work. See, when we hear straight path, we have the words of the advertisers running in the back of our mind, don't we? A straight path is one in which you have no pain, which you're comfortable, which you're wealth. And you have riches. Jesus never promises us that we have a life free from pain. Far from it. Because the reality is the only place it seems where we can learn that Christ is enough is in the crucible of suffering. See, there's a mystery to Christianity. We don't know how things are going to end up. 
we do ultimately, but in this world, we're not free from a life of suffering, and there's no magic lever that you can pull that makes it so. But what God promises is that he will make straight the path. I know the safest place that you can be is in the will of God. Because wherever he leads, he will be there. People often say to me, how do I know what God's will is? Not sure, am I supposed to do this or am I supposed to do that? They're morally the same. My answer is always the same. Trust in the Lord with all your heart. And you not on your own understanding. Acknowledge him in all ways, and he will make the path straight. Trust God and make a decision. But where is God's will? You're standing there. Thank goodness God doesn't answer all of my prayers. Because I wouldn't be here. And I wouldn't be with her. I'd be somewhere else. The promise that God gives us is the same promise that the dad gives to their child when they're on the battlefield. I'll catch you. I promise. When you go through the fires, I will be with you. And the flames, they will not consume you. The water will not ride over you. Even into death, I will be there. Because I am the resurrection of the life. We can take great comfort from this passage because what it teaches us is we don't need to be consumed with the future. We simply need to be consumed with Him. Trust in the Lord with all your heart. Make Him your functional Savior. And as you go out into the world, in all of your ways, know Him. And guess what? Moment by moment, Minute by minute, he's going to make your path straight. So that you can lie down in peace. Because God is there. I love, I'll close with this analogy or this story. I don't know if you've seen the movie Amazing Grace. It's a wonderful, wonderful movie. It's the story of William Wilberforce and his decade-long effort to abolish slavery in Parliament. He was uh, a member of the House of Commons. And uh, the Lord, he came to the Lord, and the Lord used him in a mighty way. He knew this was what God had upon his life. And so he introduced a bill to abolish slavery. And he was essentially laughed out of Parliament. They turned him down. And they turned him down again and again and again. And it shows the, the pain and suffering and ostracism as he stood against this, this machination of slavery, which was a tremendous industry. And it also shows the reality that he experienced great pain throughout his life. He, he had an uh, intestinal condition. He was sick for lots and lots of his time, and he would be bedridden. And yet the Lord continued to use him. And there's this wonderful scene at the end where finally it passes. The, the tide of England has changed, and, and it passes, and everyone stands, and they're clapping for Wilberforce, even his enemies. And everyone sits down except for one man. And he said, when we think of greatness and think of great men, we think of Napoleon and Genghis Khan and all of these great men who have become great through war and shedding, their, shedding other people's blood and 
They go to bed with these horrible images in their mind, but not Wilberforce. He gets to lie down and sleep at night, resting knowing that he has done a good thing. He has followed the Lord. And the evidence of his life was the freeing of tens of thousands of people. Wilberforce never knew if it would be passed or not. He just knew that God called him to trust him and to acknowledge him in all of his ways, particularly as a member of the House of Commons. And he experienced the peace of lying down with his pillow at night, knowing that he had been used by God in a greater story than his own. I think that's what we all want at the end of life, isn't it? To know that I lived greater than simply my small story, that I had my small slice of the pie. Rather, that I was a small slice of something bigger, of God's plan of redeeming the world. And that I bet all of my life on the right thing. That I arranged my life and how I lived and the responsibilities I had to honor him. I think there will be a peace that comes at the end of knowing that this is the path that God has led me down. And I wouldn't want any other. That's my hope for me. It's my hope for you. We don't trust in God's ways. We trust in God. And as we follow his ways, he's there with us. Let's pray. We thank you, Lord, that you are worthy of all of the weights of our heart. That we can put all of our longings, all of our hopes, all of our failures, all of the nameless things we can't even describe on you. And you can hold them, and you cherish them, and you care for them. Father, help us to understand the story that we're living in. To become people who acknowledge you in every single facet of our life. When we, wake, when we wake and when we sleep, when we love and when we live. And we trust you that you will make our paths straight. But what else can you do? You are God. And the faithfulness of yours, too. We pray all of this in Christ's name.